ready? to be a light to the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Borei pri hagafin, Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atarunai, Eloheinu melech olam. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. Now, husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and we pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruch the call to worship. Baruch et Aronai Hamvorach. Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Mi chamocha ba'elim Adonai Mi chamocha nedar ba'kodesh Norat ehilot o'osef ele'i 
Blessing of Messiah. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam, Asher Natanlanu Et Derech HaYeshua BaMashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru Vene Yisrael Et Hashabbat, La Asot Et Hashabbat La Doratam Berit Olam, Vene Ovayan Vene Yisrael Oti Leolam. Kishishet yamin asa aronai et hashmayim va et haralets uvayom hashvi shvat vayinefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, Le'olam va'ed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elochecha. Altogether, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
Shabbat Shalom, everyone, and welcome to our Erev Shabbat broadcast here at B'nai Shalom. Uh, this week, our Shabbat is Shabbat Metzorah. That's our portion in Leviticus. Uh, for this Sabbath, we're talking about um, Leviticus chapter 14. Now, normally on short years, and this happens frequently, this portion and the previous portion of Tazria is usually taught together. The Tazria introduced the subject of leprosy. And this portion, Metzor, is, is called the cleansing of the leper or the law of the cleansing of the leper. And it begins with the words, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest. And what follows in our Torah portion, tell you the truth, it's rather fascinating. In fact, I'm going to read just a bit of it to introduce this and our Hoftor portion together. It goes into this procedure. It says, verse 3, uh, it, it, the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. Thus, the priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take two live, clean uh, birds and the cedar wood and a scarlet string and hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. The priest shall also give orders to slay the one bird in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the live bird, he shall take it and together with the cedar wood and the scarlet string and the hyssop and shall dip them and the live bird into the blood of the bird that was slain over the running water. He shall then sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and pronounce him clean and shall let the live bird go free over the field. The one to be cleansed shall then wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, bathe in water and be clean. Now, afterwards, he may enter the camp, but he shall stay outside of the tent for seven days. And it will be on the seventh day that he shall shave off all of his hair. He shall shave his head, his beard, and his eyebrows, even all his hair. He shall then wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and be clean. Now on the eighth day, he is to take two male lambs with one without defect and a yearling even lamb without defect, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering and one log of oil. And the priest who pronounces him clean shall present the man to be cleansed and aforesaid before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Then the priest shall take one of the male lambs and bring it before as a guilt offering with the log of oil and present them as a wave offering before the Lord. Now he shall slaughter the male lamb in the place where they slaughtered the sin offering and burnt offering at the place of the sanctuary for the guilt offering. Like the sin offering belongs to the priest, it is most holy. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on his big toe of his right foot. The priest shall also take some of the log of oil and pour it into his left palm. The priest shall then dip his right hand finger into the oil that is in his left palm with his finger and sprinkle some of the oil seven times before the Lord. 
And of the remaining oil, which is in his plume, the priest shall put some on the right earlobe, one on the cleansed, uh, cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, as um, on the blood of the guilt offering. While the rest of the oil then is in the priest's palm, he shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed. So he, the priest, shall make atonement on his behalf before the Lord." The priest shall next offer the sin offering and make atonement for the one to be cleansed before his uncleanness. Then afterwards he shall slaughter the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer up the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for them. And let me go ahead and just tell you at the end of this whole session it says, and the leper will be cleansed. This is the most detailed temple procedure of all of the temple sacrifices and procedures to be done in the temple. Why is the law of the cleansing of the leper have this much detail given by Moses, instructed to Aaron and to the priest, as to how they are to conduct this ceremony? And there are multiple stages of it. Um, and this has been a great question on the part of Israel and the sages over the years, why is this procedure in the book of Leviticus, instructions to the priests, why is there more detail given on this than anything else? And part of the answer has to do with that the cleansing of a leper is you're taking a person who literally was walking death, a disease that is going to kill him eventually, and you're turning around and suddenly he's coming back to life. That it's a picture of resurrection. The, the fact of the matter is, you and I and, and all people in the world, we've gone out, we've walked in darkness, we sinned. And we're walking in death. And the things that God has done for us is what has delivered us from that so that we can be lifted out of that, so we can walk in the light, and so that we can have life. And somehow all that other cruddy stuff that we're involved with, sin and ugliness and so forth, is, is gone. And the picture of a leper being cleansed and going through the procedure to be announced that he's clean is this elaborate thing trying to illustrate all that is gone, all that is gone away. There's many things that had to be done to accomplish it. God had to do certain things. So they show this picture of this priest has to do all these tasks to make it possible for this. Now, the leper walk up, and he's, he doesn't have leprosy anymore. But we got to go through this procedure. And the priest is the one who's doing it. So somehow in this process of going from walking death to being alive and resurrected and having life given to you, this intermediary, this person doing the work of the priesthood, has to do a lot of tasks. And the reality is for us, the sinful life that we have lived, we, it's very simple for us to be forgiven. God offers it. We accept it. We ask for forgiveness. We get it. But what was the work that had to be done by the priest, by the Messiah, to accomplish that? 
a lot had to be accomplished in the heavenlies and in the whole realm of, of spirituality. And this procedure is, in effect, mimicking, it's, it's prophetically picturing the transition from walking death to, to walking life and the, all the things the priest has to do, the intermediary has to accomplish you know, for it. So it's a picture of and alluding to the work the Messiah has to do for us to get us from death to life all the tasks that he has to accomplish. And by the way, when you go back and do the study of the Messiah, he had to fulfill a whole series of prophecies. He had to do a whole series of specific things. He had to be handled in particular ways to become the Passover sacrifice for us, to become the Lamb of God sacrifice for us. There's a lot of things he had to do. And we have a tendency to just slough past them and say, oh yeah, well, he did it. When in truth, in fact, it was a great work of redemption that was done for us uh, by him. This law of cleansing the leper is what alludes to and tells us there's way more to it. Now, there is what we call, I'm sure you're familiar with this expression, there is what we call an elephant in the house on this whole thing. And rather than ignore that, we need to address that because that's part of what our Haftoah portion is going to be trying to attempt to address. And that is, our whole portion starts off with the following. Um, this shall be the law of, of the leper in the day his, of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out into the outside of the camp. The priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest will. Wait a minute. Let's ask the question. How did he get healed? He didn't get healed by doing this procedure. He already was healed of leprosy before he starts this. So how did this leper who was walking around in Israel, all of a sudden, how did he get healed? That's, that begs the question, how the heck did he get healed to begin with? Where, where was he at? Who did he talk to? What did he do? Did he go to the pharmacy and get some medicine for leprosy? No, they didn't have that. Did he go to a doctor and the doctor healed him? No, they didn't have that. The leprosy that we're talking about here is walking death. Your whole body begins to be destroyed. Pieces of you start falling off, rotting and falling off of you. You're, you're dying. It's incurable. Highly infectious. In fact, you have to have separation and be quarantined and so forth. A leper going around, if he's around other people, he has to announce that he's unclean. He's unclean so people can stay away. He has to protect other people. And so how does a guy that is that sick with leprosy, how does he get cleansed? How does he get healed from it? Well, uh, the priests of Israel who have to do this elaborate procedure, that was one of the first questions you know, if I go outside the camp and I'm checking out this guy that's a leper and he says he's been cleansed, first of all, I already know he was a leper, so I'm going to be very careful when I approach him. I'm going to be examining him at a distance and looking and seeing if he still has any leprosy and looking at everything and so forth. And when he doesn't have any leprosy and it's time to do this procedure, the natural question is, now you were a leper last week. How, how is it you don't have leprosy this week? Well, 
they had an answer for it. They said that when a leper comes and he's in the land and he suddenly comes and he's been cleansed, that obviously God did that. God healed that leper. Now, I'm not quite sure how God did it. Was it because of the word of a prophet? Was it uh, God did something for him? He requested of him. And if we see a whole bunch of people coming and they've been cleansed of leprosy and there's all kinds of these people coming up and a whole bunch of us priests have to be doing this will be a sign that the Messiah is in the land because it was understood that the Messiah, whoever he is, he's going to be able to do certain incredible things to the benefit of individual citizens. One, He's supposed to be able to give sight to a man born blind. Not to a man who had his sight and lost his sight, and maybe a doctor fixed him. We're talking about a man that was born blind. His eyeball, his optic nerve never did work. And suddenly he can see that would be the kind of sight given to the blind that the Messiah would do. He would be able to cleanse the leper, the leprosy that is unto death, that he would have the power of God to cleanse that leper and that the leper would be coming for this procedure because the Messiah had cleansed him, had healed him. That the Messiah was also to be able to take a man that was born lame, where his leg joints and bones and so forth so deformed, he, he was unable to, to get along. His, his limbs didn't work correctly, birth defects, you know, things like that. And he was able to heal a man born lame from the very beginning. That he was able to do these things. These would be the works of God. And so the understanding from this passage is this will be a sign of when the Messiah comes to us. And sure enough, we have recorded for us in the Gospels, and I'm sure that Ephraim is going to mention this in the New Testament portion, that we had a bunch of lepers showed up to Yeshua, and they had heard that he'd been cleansing lepers, and he'd been healing people, and, and doing all of these things the Messiah is supposed to do, and they asked to be cleansed. And he granted to them to be cleansed. And of these 10 lepers, he specifically said to them, now that you're cleansed, go to the priest at the temple and do this procedure so that you'll be a witness to the priests. So the priests will know I'm in the land. The priests will know the Messiah is in the land somewhere. And they can ask the questions and investigate and, and so forth. And very powerful piece of scripture that is in there that's given to us. If you recall in that story, there were 10. Uh, only one of them came back to say thank you. 10 got cleansed. Only one came back to the Messiah and said thank you. And he told the disciples, pay close attention to that. And I think the reason why he told us to pay attention to that was because that's about what it is, one in ten. When we go out and minister to the people, and we minister to many, 
Only one in ten are going to come back and be willing to join in in the work of the ministry. Only one in ten. It's kind of like the Lord's spiritual tithe. And I've always shared this with many people over the years. In the course of doing our ministry here at Lion and Lamb Ministries, I've always been praying for that one in ten. Oh, God, send me that one in ten to come and co-labor with me here in the work of the ministry. Don't send me a whole bunch of people. Just send me those one in tens, you know, those guys. Those guys that love you and want to say thank you, Lord, and you're, they're willing to come and serve uh, even for others. All right, so with that reminder of what's going on in the Torah, let's slip over to our Haftor portion because we have an interesting parallel here to the cleansing of the leper and some of the elements that I've just got through explaining to you in review. We are at 2 Kings chapter 7. We're beginning at verse 3 uh, through the end of the chapter, verse 20. And this is a interesting story. These, this is in the days of Elisha the prophet. And these are in the days when the um, Syrians, called, in this scripture called the Arameans, Aramea is part of, uh, part of the Syrian uh, element. They had come and laid siege against the Israelites. And there is this one particular city they've laid siege to, in which that the siege has become very, very grievous to the point that literally the people are starving to death. And uh, they, they don't quite know what to do. It looks like it's death for sure to them. Uh, they, can't, they can't leave the city and, and fight the Syrians adequately enough. They've got to stay behind the walls of the city, and they're trying to, they're trying to uh, surround them and choke them to death and, and keep water away from them and keep food away from them so that they, they finally eventually surrender or die. And so the king is there in the besieged city with the citizens, and they're all complaining about how terrible it is. Well, there happens to be in this city, there happens to be four lepers, and they sit just outside of the city at the gate. Um, they live in the city. They can go in at night, but during the daytime, they, they stay out of the city because they, they can't do anything in the city, you know, with the other people out. So they just, and they're afraid to go out into the land because the Syrians will kill them. So they, they just stay right there by the gate. And they are considering their situation given that the whole city is on the brink of starving to death and dying. And here's the enemy sitting out here. And they're weighing the possibilities. What, what are we going to do? Let's see. If we go in the city, we're going to die. If we stay seated out here, we're going to die. Because there's no food. We're, you know, we're going to starve to death, and, and we're going to die of leprosy. And it's, So there's, there's no hope. There's no way that we're going to make it. And so they're weighing our possibilities, and one of the possibilities they consider is, well, instead of going in the city and dying or staying out here and dying, maybe we could go to the Syrians. Maybe we could go to the Arameans, and maybe we could get something to eat from them. And they immediately say, we got leprosy. You know, if our own citizens aren't going to help us, the, the, the enemy surely is not going to help us. But, you know, they look at their options and they say, look, we really don't have any choice here. 
Okay, let's, let's go ahead and go to the Syrians. Well, it turns out that God decided to relieve uh, the city of the siege that was being done by him. And Elisha had come to the king of the city and had announced that the siege was going to be ending very shortly, and they were going to, the very next day after the siege was over, they were going to have plenty of food. In fact, they were going to have food at regular prices. I mean, it would be, the food would be that prevalent. And of course, everybody was kind of hoping for it, but, you know, how do you hope for that when, when the enemy's standing there facing you down? So these four lepers in the midst of all of this, they decide, okay, well, it doesn't make any difference what's going to happen to us. We're going to die either way. We'll go to the Syrians and to their camps. Well, it turns out, in accordance with what Elisha had said, God caused something interesting to happen in the camps of the Syrians. They were laying siege. Apparently, as best we understand it, he caused the sound, or maybe there was actual sound that somebody was doing something, but he caused the sound of though it sounded like many chariots and many horses approaching the camp. And the elements of the camp didn't necessarily see him, but they heard the sound and they thought they were about to be attacked. And they began to rout. The soldiers began to run away. Well, as they ran past other soldiers, the other soldiers didn't know what was going on, so they started running too. The next thing you know, the entire Syrian army runs off, leaving behind their tents, all of their equipment, some of their weapons, all their food, everything they had stockpiled. And so the lepers come up and they discover... They're all gone. The, 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 the army's not there. And so they say, oh, my gosh, look at all this food. And so we need that food. We're, we're going to rush back to the city. We'll tell them, hey, you know, the Syrians have left. Uh, we have food. You know, all we have to do is go out and get it. And so they came back to the city. They rushed back. They sent a messenger to the king. Hey, we have news for you. We, we know about what's happening with the Syrian army and so forth. So they bring them in to hear what their message is. And they say, hey, we went to their camp. They're gone. They're gone, and there's food everywhere. Well, the military captain that the king had put in charge of protecting the city, and he's the one that controlled the authority, who, whether the gate gets opened or not, he said he was a scoffer. He said, oh, I don't believe that. I think it's a trap. I think they've simply stepped away from their things so that as soon as we come out of the walls of the city, then they'll attack us. And he scoffed at the whole idea, and he refused to open the gate to allow the people to go out and go get the food that the Syrians had left behind. Well, interesting thing happened. Uh, God put punishment on this guy hearing this news and the people trampled him to death as they got, went to the gate and opened the gate and went out and got the food. Elisha had prophesied that they would get it. 
And when the captain of the gate stood up and denied what the prophet had said, denied the report from the lepers, discredited them as to their testimony of what they'd seen, he paid the ultimate price and he was trampled to death that day. The moral of this whole story, this, the, the way this story comes back, is, is that God is in the business of using lowly people. He can use a leper to announce freedom. He can use a leper and him being cleansed to explain to us how you and I are passed from death to life and that how the resurrection would work, you know, for us. Now, will we listen to the testimony of the leper? Will we listen to the testimony of those who are less than us and to consider what they have? This is, this is a great moral story. Are we so unbelieving that when God answers our prayers, fulfills a prophecy, does it right in front of us, answers our prayer with a hearty yes, are we so unbelieving that we still don't want to believe it? Uh, a guy is really in trouble if he won't take yes for an answer. He is, it's not going to work out good for him. And there's a fundamental lesson for us, and we, we share this in the gospel every time we talk to a person. You know, God has offered you forgiveness of all of your sins. You don't have to explain them away. You don't have to justify them. He's offered you complete forgiveness of it. Not only that, he will raise you up out of that pit you have put yourself into. He'll get you on your feet and give you a life. Now, do you want it or not? I don't know that God would ever do that. It's, by the way, it's free. You don't have to do anything more. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to do nothing. Just accept what the Lord has said by faith. Just believe. Trust him a little bit. Uh, I don't know. It probably caused a lot of changes in my life. I don't, I don't know if I want to make those changes. Hmm. Now, take a regular reasonable person, and let's say the person talking to you is a, a leper. He's a lowly person. Are you, are you going to listen to a good word from him? That is what our lesson is about. That's what this story, the law of the cleansing of the leper, is supposed to teach us. And that's what this off-toward portion of the four lepers who came with the good word that the siege was over. And as to those that are willing to listen and receive the thing the Lord wants them to do. And in the case of the captain of the gate, he wasn't willing to receive it, no matter how good it was or how it impacted the people, cost him his life. He simply just got ran over by the mob going for the food. So that's our story. That's our Hof tour for this portion. Shabbat shalom to all of you. Shabbat shalom. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the uh, Gospel of Matthew, to chapter 8. Hold your finger at verse 1, where our Brit Hadashah portion will begin for this week. As you open the Scripture, 
I will turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time once again, that we can dig into your word, your teaching, your instruction. And Father, I pray that you, as we go through the Torah cycle, Lord, I pray that we will open up the New Testament and that the first century witness, the first century testimony, Lord, of our Messiah and the apostles, Father, may it speak to us in our lives today. May we take application to your word, your teaching, and your instruction. And Father, may we be strengthened in our faith each and every time that we learn of your miracles and the things that you have taught. And Father, may our knowledge and our wisdom come together as one so that your word might be applied to our lives in the most perfect of ways. We bless you, worship you, and thank you for this time. It's in your son Yeshua that we pray. Amen. So our Torah portion this week is the Torah portion of Metzora, which is all about the cleansing of the leper. We taught, we were introduced to the subject of leprosy in last week's portion, Tezrio. Normally this is a double portion, so you only spend one week in most years talking about leprosy. Well, this year we get to talk about it for two weeks. And so I talked about last week about the whole idea of what makes us unclean, what defiles us, and that sin can manifest as a physical of uh, a, a physical lesion on the body that a deep deep sin would is what causes leprosy and that I also told uh, spoke that the rabbis teach about when it comes to the cleansing of the leper that this is something that within Judaism they don't truly really understand and many rabbis many teachers have relegated it to you know what the messiah is the one who can bring cleansing to the leper that this is something that God has to do even before a one who was once declared with leprosy is going to come to the priest and be made clean. So Leviticus in, in our Torah portion, you know, goes through the whole details of, of how to cleanse this leper. Once somebody comes and says, hey, they were once a leper, now they've been made clean. So the priest examines them again. They're like, well, lo and behold, there's no more lesions. There's no more skin rash. There's no more anything. Weren't you, uh, you were the guy that, that had leprosy? You did have leprosy? Yeah, we, we, we declared you unclean, you know, a while ago, and then now you're clean. So you're the same guy. Yes, I'm the same guy. Okay, uh, all right, let's, uh, let's pull up Leviticus here. Uh, we got a whole big procedure to go through. You got to bring certain sacrifices. You got to shave all your hair. There's going to be blood of the sacrifices. We're going to anoint your ear and your thumb and your big toe. There's going to be all kinds of things going on here. Um, all right, let's, let's go through this. Now, the priest has to you know, open their eyes. How many priests got to do this? go through this procedure? Not very many because leprosy is un- uncurable. So how does anybody ever get cured from leprosy? The rabbis say, only God can do this. Only a coming Messiah or one who can perform miracles is the one who is ever going to be able to do this. And it is going to be the Messiah that shows us this. Well, guess what? Those of us that believe that Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah, there's a couple of times that it talks about how he cleansed the leper. And this is one of these proofs that he is the Messiah. Even in accordance with the words of rabbis, Yeshua of Nazareth was the Messiah because he most definitely did cleanse lepers. In fact, in Matthew chapter 8, recorded for us in this gospel, immediately after the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest Torah teaching that's ever been given, he then comes down from the mountain, as it says in verse 1 of, of chapter 8, and this is what happens. Great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus put out his hand, touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. 
And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go on your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. That's what it actually does, is it shows and proves to us that there in the book of Leviticus, where there's all this thing about, uh, about the cleansing of a leper in chapter 14 of Leviticus, that if this ever was, was going to happen, and the priests were going to see this, that this was a testimony to them. A testimony of what? Well, <coughs> excuse me. If the rabbis have taught that it's the Messiah that is the one who cleanses a leper, then this is going to be a testimony to them and to the priests that the Messiah has come, that God has performed miracles here on earth to show the priests leprosy has been cleansed. And so as far as we know, this is what the man did. He went to the priests and he went through this whole procedure. He was once declared a leper and now he's been made clean. I always love the idea that if the, the priest that once declared him unclean was the same priest that declared him clean. I don't know if they kept track of that or if that, there, was, there was a certain group of priests that actually handled this and took care of this. There was plenty of lepers in the first century, so clearly there was lots of uh, diagnosing of, of leprosy. But was there, when one came in and said, hey, I've been made, cleanse, I've been made clean of leprosy, then it's like, a, um, hey, call, call up, uh, call up a priest, I don't know what his name is, Shuel, whatever, I'm, I'm making up a name here. Uh, he was the one that declared him unclean. Let's make sure he, what he sees is the same thing as there. And then he gives, they're like, hey, did you declare this guy unclean? Yeah, let me check my books. Yeah, you're this person. Yeah, 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 okay. And then they're the ones that get to examine him again. And then they're like, wait a minute, what has happened here? Tell me what you saw. Tell me what has happened. What has happened in your life that you once had leprosy and now you've been made clean? What did you do? What happened? Who, who, who spoke to you? What and then he gets to tell them the story. It's like, well, uh, I, I, I was walking by the way up there in Galilee, and there's this guy preaching up there on this mountain, whatever, and he was speaking with such authority on the, on the law, and that he almost like he, he, was, he was the Messiah. He's spoken like he was the Messiah. So I went up to him, and I believed that if, if, he, if he had just declared a word that he, I could make, be made clean, and I asked him, and not only did he declare the word, he walked up and he took my hand. He's like, he did? What? You're unclean. You're not nobody's supposed to touch you. No, but he walked up, and he took my hand, and he said he was willing to make me clean, and I was made clean, and the leprosy just disappeared. What a testimony to anybody who may have heard this. Now, if that word gets in through, through the priesthood, then what, then what do you start talking? You're like, oh my gosh, there's a man who's out there cleansing the leper. Wait, no, didn't we used to teach it though? It's the Messiah that does that? What a testimony. That's the way the testimony spreads. That's how people come to believe, because they've heard that miracles have happened. This is what the Messiah did. And coming out off the mountain, this being one of the first miracles that he did in this part of his ministry here, that this is a sign that he is the Messiah. It's also considered one of the first signs of the, the signs of Moses. Remember the three signs that Moses was given to show and prove that he had spoken to God? You know, the thing with the, 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 the staff that went down, it turned into a serpent, and then he could take water and pour it out on the ground, turn it into blood. And then also he took his hand, he put it into his cloak, it came out, it was leprous. Then he put his hand into his cloak, pulled it back out, and it was made clean, instant cleaning, uh, cleansing of leprosy. These are signs that have been given from God to Moses. And now there's somebody walking in the first century performing these same signs? Hmm. Must be from God. 
Let's go find this man. Let's find out who he is, and let's believe in him that he truly has been sent from God. That's the testimony that we have. And that's what the Messiah did coming and healing the leper. When the rabbis say that only the the Messiah can do this, only somebody straight from God with the power of God inside of them can do this. This is why this is such a powerful testimony. Something that I didn't mention in last week, but if you went through your Torah study and and if you read all of uh, Leviticus chapter 13, you would have read that there was that the leprosy goes not just beyond the skin on a, on a certain person that they're declared unclean, that other things could get declared unclean in the form of some other type of leprosy. This might be some sort of object or even someone's house, that there was a house, that a priest could go into somebody's house, and if there was a mold that was growing, that the priest examined it according to the law of Moses, and that the priest would then come and w- could condemn a house and declare a house to be unclean. And that, so this whole idea of leprosy and uncleanness extends not just beyond, uh, beyond just one, a person, but also maybe a person's belongings or a person's dwelling. Now, I say that to say this, because uh, Matthew chapter 8 continues on with another miracle that it happens immediately after, and it is when the Messiah heals the centurion's servant. When Jesus has en- had entered Capernaum, this is all happening up in the Galilee, Uh, A centurion came to him. So a centurion. Okay, so these are one of those Roman guys. They were Roman authority. They were basically government officials. They they didn't believe in the same thing that that the Jews believed in. And so the centurion hears of the testimony of the Messiah, maybe through the healing of the leper that he heard this. And so then he then comes pleading with our Messiah, and he says, Lord, my servant is lying home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word that my servant may be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And another one, come, and he comes. And my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard it, and he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, even in all Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But then the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, it has been done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. (coughs) Excuse me. What faith this unclean, Gentile, pagan-believing person had in our Messiah. Hearing that healings could be done, he came and he humbled himself. Talking about a man who was in authority, in power, in control. This guy walked around with respect. This guy could do whatever he wanted to other people, and nobody could do anything because he's the the head honcho. He's the centurion. And he comes and he humbles himself before our Lord and says, just by a word, you can say this. And the Messiah was so willing. He says, no, I'm, I'm going to go. I'll, let me come. I'll do it. And the centurion realized that there was uncleanness in him. That if this is the Jewish Messiah, he, he's not going to be accepting of my house, my lifestyle, 
Because we're talking about a, a Roman centurion. It's like, what was in the house of the centurion? Well, there's probably all kinds of pagan idols and all kinds of other things. There's probably pork in the refrigerator. And he is not worthy to have the Messiah come into his house because his house was unclean. But the Messiah was still willing to do it almost as the work of a priest, just like the Messiah willing to touch the leper to make him clean, our Messiah can walk boldly into a place where there is uncleanness. Because what happens is that by a, the, by a word, by his presence, the uncleanness flees. That's what the power of the Messiah can do. In fact, that's what the power, all of us with the testimony of Yeshua can do. We should not have any fear of the things that are around us that are clearly unclean. We live in a world, we, we, have a, we live in a very unclean world. If we were afraid of these things, we would not be able to live long in the world where we are that is full of sin, debauchery, uncleanness, whatever. We turn on the TV and you'll see it. Go walking on down the street and you'll see it. So the fact that our Messiah is so willing to come and make clean whatever needs to be made clean. And so the whole thing about even leprosy could be declared upon a house, our Messiah was still willing to go and walk into a house where that uncleanness might be. And it was by faith that the healings actually took place. So remember I talked last week about that, that, that sin and cleanness or whatever, it, it stems from something deep within. It comes from within us. It's lower, it's deeper than skin, skin deep when it comes to the things that defile us the things that make us unclean. And what Yeshua is trying to do is he's always, always trying to speak to that, speak deeper into the heart of a person. And he found the deepest faith in the heart of this Gentile, somebody who had all kinds of authority, but humility in his heart, knowing that there is power within the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and power within this Messiah in front of him to bring healing. This is what we need to, to know and understand about our Messiah, and, and this is why the, the teachings of the Brit Hadashah are so powerful when they're paired with the Torah, because some, a lot of things in the Torah are, are surface level. Do this, do this. God says to, do, to, to eat these things, do these things here, and this is what's right, this is what is appropriate, and this is how you remain clean. Okay, yeah, you can go through entire life of, of doing that. You can put boundaries and traditions on top of that, and then you can then form the, the nation of Israel that they formed, trying, doing their best to follow the laws of Moses, but then, then they end up sinning. They go following after other idols and other unclean things, and then the, the uh, religious authorities, they put a whole bunch of traditions over the top of that, and then they can have all the uncleanness in their heart, and they can be the nastiest people in the world. Oh, but they follow the commandments of God, don't they? Maybe on the surface, but not underneath. On the surface, they are, you know, we, we keep ourselves in tip-top shape, exactly what the Word says. This is what we do. We make sure we eat only these things. We, we, we keep ourselves clean in this way. Yeah, but they have so much arrogance in their heart, and they have so much sin that's deep, deep down inside that they're not addressing, that they're not dealing with the, with, with the true, the heart of the matter. What is the commandment supposed to teach us? Ultimately, the heart and the essence of the law is to love one another and to encourage one another, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, because we were strangers in the land of Egypt. These commandments were given to people who were once slaves, who were once the lowest of the low. Now they've been lifted and exalted out uh, of that nation to become their own nation, and they have the presence of God inside of them. Is that for them to get haughty? And with, and with arrogance, say, look what we got. Now I follow these commandments. Now I am holy and above all other nations. Nope. 
you are just as arrogant as, uh, and, and there's is just as much sin deep within your heart of your arrogance and your pride and your ego that you can do everything right on the surface, but there's something deeper going on. We need to find the faith inside the hearts of people that believe in God and, and obey His Word and His instruction. We need to have that kind of humility. Now let's go to Luke chapter 17, where we have another healing of leprosy, but this time it is tenfold. Where one leper might have gotten healed before, now we get the story of the ten lepers who were healed. They called out. They uh, happened when He was in Jerusalem, and He passed by them in the midst of Samaria and Galilee, so they're on the road here. And he entered a certain village, and there met him ten men who were lepers. They stood afar off. This is what lepers did. They were, they were far enough away. They're like, look, nobody wants to touch us or whatever, but we, we can still call to people. And they're marked. There, there was a, 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 a wrapping or they wore, or it was obvious that they had leprosy, whatever it might have been. And so they call off, and they lifted up their voices and says, Jesus, Yeshua, Master, have mercy on us. And he saw them, and he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that when they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and went with a loud voice, glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said to them, were there not 10 cleansed? But where, where are the nine? Were there not any who, who any found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise and go your way. Your faith has made, your, made you well. This is where it goes back to the heart of the matter that you sit here and you're like, this is where we learn the principle and ministry of one in ten. Everything that you do, all the actions that you take, only about one-tenth, ten percent, will come back and really give response to anything good that you do. This will be a, a, a lesson in life. You go, you give compliments, you go do something good for a whole mass of people. You're only going to get a real direct response or a direct thank you usually from about 10%. And this is a spiritual lesson. We need to be that 10%. We need to be the people that come and glorify God for the things that he has done in our lives. All right, that's, that's one good, good thing, one good nugget. Once again, he's also saying, go show yourself to the priests. This is where he sent these other men to go and, and, and go to the priest and let this be once again a testimony to them that the power of God is walking in the first century, that the Messiah is among us. I would love to have been a fly on the wall there with the priest when, the, when one leper shows up and they're like, oh my gosh, what the heck's going on? Ah, it's probably a fluke. Uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe he rubbed in some certain herbs or whatever and it made his skin clean or whatever and that, that's what did it, okay? Suddenly nine more guys show up and they're like, hey, we once had leprosy. Now we need to be made clean. Uh, okay, what happened? Well, we called to this one guy named Jesus. Wait, didn't that other guy say? See? And, he, and he said, yeah, go show yourself the priest. And he made us clean. Okay, now we have testimony that the Messiah is among us in the first century. What a crazy interaction that would have been among the priests that did all this leprosy uh, declarations. And so I say nine because what it appears is it appears the nine went to the priests, but this one foreigner who was a Samaritan, which the scripture points out, he comes and the Messiah, the last thing he says, he says, go your way. As in, not that he said, make sure you go to the priests, but he didn't go to the priests in Jerusalem. One, he was a Samaritan. Samaritans didn't believe that the temple and the presence of God was in Jerusalem. They thought he was in Samaria. 
They think that Mount Gerizim was the whole, is the Holy Temple Mount, where the, he is to be worshipped and where God put his name. This was the biggest, greatest divide between the Samaritans and the rest of those in Judea. So the whole idea of a Samaritan coming to show themselves to the priest, that really wouldn't have either made a lot of sense. If, if he did get declared leprosy, he might have gotten declared leprous by the priests in Samaria rather than the ones in Judea. And so this whole thing about him being a foreigner or whatever, it's kind of an interesting dialogue. In fact, you can talk about this in your Bible studies even more. What would this have meant that the Samaritan was declared clean from leprosy? Was he supposed to go to his priests in Samaria? Or was he supposed to go to Jerusalem to be a testimony to them, but it just so happened to be a Samaritan? I, don't, I actually don't really know. But the interesting thing is for us to, to, to dig into is being that one in 10 that comes back and glorifies God and that we learn that lesson. But once again, this is all about this testimony that the Messiah has come. The priests say, or the rabbis say, it's the Messiah that's going to have to cleanse this leprosy. And surely the Messiah came and he did this. And it, it's possible that there were even more cle leprosy cleansings that took place. We have the one at the uh, end of, or at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we have this one. <clears throat> and there might have been <clears throat> even others along the way. <clears throat> I want to go now to another healing that take, took place, not having to do with leprosy, <clears throat> but something that speaks to the heart of why the Messiah was doing all these miracles in the first place. So if you would now go to Luke chapter 14, where we have the story of the man with dropsy that was healed. Now, you might not know what dropsy is. It sounds kind of like a funny word. <clears throat> but what dropsy is, is a retention of water in the skin. So it would look kind of gnarly on a person. Not that it forms leprous lesions, but a retention of water almost that they were either swollen, puffy, something, something looks off about them. And so there was this servant, this guy that had, had dropsy, and it happened that he was in the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath. So there he was, he was invited by the Pharisees to come eat bread. They were hospitable in that way. And he watched closely, and behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, um, and they, uh, uh, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they, the Messiah asked them this, but they kept silent. And he took him and he healed him and let him go. So here it was, he, he actually was posing the question to them. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they were like, hmm, well, I mean... Our traditions say you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, but yeah, they kept silent. And so then suddenly he right before them, he heals this man with a interesting skin condition, so to speak. And then they answered them saying, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. See, because they had a lot of traditions that they were probably struggling with. You know, when it comes to Sabbath, you're not supposed to do any laborious work pulling an ox out of a ditch, that's kind of a hard job. But are you going to sit there and it's like something bad's going to happen in front of you? And it's like, oh, you know what? I would totally help, but too much work. It's Saturday, it's Sabbath, it's in the middle of the day. So we're still under the obligation to not do a laborious task. So yeah, I'm just going to have to leave the ox in the ditch. No. He says, no, you pull them out. You do good. You see, what, see good that needs to be happening and, 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 and you do it. And see, what that does is this now speaks to, to the heart of everything of what is the most important part of Scripture? What is the essence of, of what we are really to learn? And when it comes to doing good for somebody, to be bringing somebody out of a pit, 
or to be relieving somebody of their pains, their issues, their ailments, their trials, their tribulations, whatever they might be struggling with, that to, to lift that out of, uh, of them or, to, or, or to, to relieve them of that burden is the greatest thing that we can do for people. And you know what? It trumps even some other commandments of God. Sabbath is the day. We're supposed to rest. We're supposed to rest on the Sabbath day. God created the world in six days, rested on the seventh. It's His Sabbath. It's His day. Have a holy convocation. Rest on that day. So are we just supposed to like turn inwardly at ourselves and say, ah, I'm tired. I'm just going to nap for the whole day. I'll go to congregation for a little bit, so I'll do the holy convocation thing, and then I'm just going to nap. Well, I mean, I guess you could do that. And Are you really offending the Sabbath in that way? Or are you obeying the Sabbath? Yeah, you could say that. But what if you learn on the Sabbath day of a need that is right in front of you? Somebody tells you, hey, I, I, I don't, I'm struggling with money. I, I don't have any food to eat today. Or I, have a, 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 I need to be somewhere right now. Somebody shows up at congregation, and, and they're, they have some need. They're traveling. They don't have money for gas because they're trying to get somewhere. Are you going to sit there and you're going to withhold your hand from helping somebody, whether it's the Sabbath day or not? The lesson to learn, of course, is don't withhold your hand. Do not uh, uh, abstain from doing good on the Sabbath when you can do something good for somebody. Somebody needs food, go right over to the place where there's food and go and buy it. I don't care if it's the Sabbath or not. Somebody needs to be fed. They need to be fed. You learn somebody is, is with a, their, their car's broken down. They have a flat tire. It's like, nope, can't get out because it's the Sabbath day. I don't want to do any work. No, get, park your car and go get down in the mud and in the grease and, start and, and, and loosen those lug nuts and sweat it out if you have to to get that person back on the road. That is what is righteous to do. And, some, and at the heart of all of this, is, this is the most important thing that trumps even other commandments or interpretations of commandments as well. And see, it goes back to this leprosy thing. I connected it because of the, the particular healing that, that took place, is that the true heart of the matter for anybody who has ever been declared leprous is for them to be made clean. That's the ultimate goal. That's what we should be pursuing. So if somebody had leprosy, immediately the first thing anybody should be thinking about is like, well, there, there's a provision for you being declared clean. Let's figure out how to get you clean. What, God, please make me clean. Imagine the fervent prayers of the lepers, knowing that the scripture says there's a pathway back to being declared clean by the priests. So then if, if that, why is that in the scripture if there's not a way to be made clean? I imagine the lepers became some of the most fervent, faithful prayers of their time, asking to be healed and be made clean. And see, that's what actually happens to us when we realize our sin and our uncleanness that are in our bodies. We sit there and we're like, God, please heal us. We get closer to God when we get declared unclean and when we realize our uncleanness and the stench and the filthiness of our sins, that's what actually causes us to grow closer to God and to cry out to Him. And you know what? God gives the provision for us who are lowly, for a kingdom that was once a kingdom of slaves, for those that, have been, that are full of sin and are in need of repentance, for those that are lepers and are unclean and nobody, the scourge of society. And God makes a way through his entire scripture for ways for those people to be exalted. See, that's what he taught immediately following this whole situation. 
after he healed the man and he says, isn't it okay to do good on the Sabbath? And I don't know what to say. Then he tells them a parable to those who he, he was invited by. And he says, when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit in the best place, but let one more honorable come so that you may be invited by him and that he invited you and he come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with, with shame and, and or sorry, if you take the, the high place and it says, no, you, you need to sit somewhere else, then you get to go with shame to the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes and may say to you, friend, go up higher, then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. By that lesson alone, it's okay if bad things happen to you. It's okay that sometimes that we, we've sinned and we've been made unclean. But there is a plan and a process and a promise by God to lift us up out of it. Now, one of the things we have to do is we have to be willing to come out of it. We have to be willing to let go of our uncleanness. We have to desire to be made clean because you can sit down in your filth and in your sin and you can live there if you want to. All right, I'm a leper. Okay, so here's my lot in life, and this is where I'm going to live now, and I'm just going to make a bed, and I'm just going to be comfortable right here, and that's what I'm going to do. And you can stay there for your entire life if you want to. But if you want to be made clean of your sins, then pray. Give it to the Lord. Give Him, because there is a path back for you to be exalted. You know who has some of the most powerful testimonies in ministry? People that have had terrible lives up to that point. People who've spent time in prison. People who've committed terrible sins and atrocities. But the testimony of their path back exalts them to a whole new standard. And now they get to stand in front of thousands and give their testimony and to teach and to encourage others. And they want to be, you want to be exalted? You want to be a speaker, a teacher, or a leader? Guess what? If you come from a struggling circumstance, you will be exalted. Now, if you try to hop in and just say, hey, I'm a leader. I've, look at all the good things that I've done. I should be put in front of everybody else. Oh, and then the Lord comes along and says, oh, by the way, yeah, but there's this one sin that you have that hasn't been revealed. Well, now it's revealed. Guess what? Time for you to go back down with the rest of the peons. Time for you to come off of the stage in the position of being exalted. And you know what? We realize you really are just like everybody else that needs to be made clean of their sins, and you can start back down on the ground level with everybody else. That's the lesson to be learned. That's the, that's the uh, warning to us when it comes to you exalting yourself before you've treaded that path. Well, guess what? Somebody might come along, the God in particular that made you and put you, gave you that authority. He might come along and knock you down a few pegs. I know, oh, by the way, the next guy up might be somebody who's been on a path of being made clean and restoration, and now suddenly the lowest among us has now be made, be made the ruler of something. You know, think about Caleb coming into the camp for the first time, and he's a Kenizzite. He's not naturally born, and he comes and he joins in. He's like, hey, guys, uh, I don't even know what tribe to join in. Oh, well, why don't you uh, hop in here on the, uh, on the tribe of Judah? It's like, okay, I'll hop in here. But then his life continued to, he lived a life in accordance and filled with the right spirit and followed God and believed wholeheartedly. And next thing you know, he's in charge of the entire tribe of Judah and he wasn't even naturally born. That's what can happen when we get exalted to a certain position. And that's what we can learn in these cleansings. This is the whole plan and purpose of God.
to exalt those who are less fortunate and that we can be the pathway and, the, and we can come alongside those who are less fortunate and be the ones that help them. The ones that walked by the way that helped the leper get back to Jerusalem so that he could be declared clean by the priest. We need to be those people because that's what the Messiah did in exalting those who were less fortunate. To finish up and to conclude, you know, I, I already said that, look, the, the, the healing of the leper is very crucial to understanding that Yeshua was the Messiah. He was most definitely the Messiah. In fact, this testimony is confirmed for us in Matthew chapter 11, when John, John the Baptist, who had ended up in prison for all the things that he did, and he sent messengers to the Messiah, and he, you know, said, and he asked the Messiah, he's like, look, he, he once said, behold, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he was crucial. He baptized our Messiah and, and, he's, and he was crucial in the, the start of the ministry. Then he went to prison and even he ended up in this lowly place praying. And he's all like, was he really the Messiah? Did I really see miracles happen? Is it, was he really God in the flesh? And so he sends messengers to Yeshua and he says, are you the coming one or do we look to another? And Jesus answered him sent message back. And he said this, go tell John the things which you hear and see the blind see the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the deaf are raised up and the poor and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. This is what Messiah sent back to John when he's saying, are you the Messiah? What, what is the proof that you are the son of God? And here he does right here. This is the proof. I have made the blind to be able to see. People who are not, they, they can't do much in society. They, they, they can't see. There's only so many things they can do. But they now can see. The lame who can't go anywhere, who can't do any, any hard labor, they now can walk. And the lepers who have been cast out from all of society have been made clean and can come back in to the presence of the community and the greater Israel. The deaf can hear, the dead have been raised, the poor have, been, have, have received the gospel preached to them. These are all the signs that prove the Messiah has come because of these miracles. These, the, the, so, so the whole subject of leprosy here that starts there in the book of Leviticus, if you just start talking about leprosy and don't finish with the Messiah, sure sounds like a whole drag of a subject to talk about. All right, you get unclean, all right, you're unclean. If you can somehow find a way to be made clean, you can go through this big elaborate procedure and you get to, you know, you know, go, go have some sacrifices, whatever, and that'd be great for you, but I don't know how that happens. If you don't have the Messiah and the testimony of Yeshua being taught alongside any lesson on leprosy, then you have no hope and you are in despair. But because we have this testimony, we have proof that our Messiah has come. Proof of that he has come to and has, can do these miracles through the power of God. And then we learn the very lesson of anyone who is down on their luck, who is less fortunate, the one who has ailments, who one who ones who have defects, those that are blind, lame, uh, the ones who are poor, the ones who are weak, the ones who are surrounded by death, the ones who have leprosy and have no community around them. He comes and he gives everyone what they need to be restored back to the way that it was originally intended to be for all to come into the family of faith and all of creation to be in the presence of God. That's what the Messiah does for us. All 
because we have this subject of leprosy to talk about for these last two weeks. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time and for this teaching, for this once again, this opportunity, Lord, to dig into your New Testament, the testimonies of the, uh, of the first century, Father, that can encourage us in our faith. Father, thank you for exalting us, Lord, for lifting us up out of whatever struggles we have, whatever things that we face, whatever uh, uh, uncleanness that is in our lives, Father, make us clean, make us pure, make us holy. Father, we pray that you would just uh, continue to bring complete restoration to us. May we study your word and your teachings in Leviticus so that we can do our part, Lord, to keep ourselves from defiling this temple, to keep ourselves clean and pure. Father, you originally made us to be clean, and Father, but it's our sin that causes us to be defiled and makes us unclean. So Father, may we just return back to our natural state as you created us to be, as you made us in your image and we were created to be in your presence. Father, I pray that we would shun anything that would make us unclean, sin, evil, uh, anything, Lord, that is not of you, Father. May we just turn our attentions to you. May we learn to be holy as you are holy. And Father, I thank you for the miracles that you've done. For those we have fallen, though we have failed, Father, you always give us a path back and a way to be made clean again. So Father, if you are willing, Lord, continue to heal us. And Father, if we are willing, Father, may we be willing to let go of whatever it is that makes us unclean, just like the man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5, Lord, that we, have to, we ourselves have to be willing to let it go. So, Father, we love you, we bless you, we praise you. Thank you for this time and this teaching. We thank you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Shabbat shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Shalom.